is to be together this morning, and we want to immerse ourselves in your word with its stories, its surprises, its lessons, its incentives, its reassurances. Lord, we pray that we would have that delightful sense of your spirit unfolding his word to us, that we would see a man just like us, Jonah, and that we would see a man so unlike us, who loves us, and who went to the depths of our sin and misery to redeem us, the Lord Jesus. Show us, Lord, your grace, your wonderful gospel, and call to our hearts, we ask, for Jesus' sake and our blessing. Amen. Amen. I think I'll say something which is very obvious to me as a preacher, but it might need saying, which is that um, coming to you from outside, as an outsider, uh, I have not been comparing notes with Andy. I know nothing whatsoever about you. So please, at no stage, be thinking, what's Fenton been saying? <laughs> there will be, in a group like this, some tragedies, some historic, some you've kept very private, I know nothing about, and there'll be shared tragedies and disasters, I know nothing about, and there'll be marriages which are fizzing with tension, there'll be disasters with children or parents, there'll be all sorts of mess here, and I know nothing about it. So if I can apologise first if I say anything which, which you feel is heavy-handed, I can only apologise, but with my apology I do want you to know that um, I am not intentionally pressing on any pain uh, or difficulties and have no desire to make anybody's life more painful than it is. I want to get into the text of Jonah with you and I want to let God's word speak and I'll illustrate it if I can in ways which I hope are helpful. You'll want Jonah 1 in front of you. We're looking uh, this morning, God willing tomorrow, at the doctrine of grace but uh, I've not chosen to um, do some sort of theological sketching out of the doctrine of grace, but I want, I want us to explore a story which is absolutely amazing. It's so full of humour, it's so full of absurdity, it's so unlikely, and it's so, so subversive. Because through this, the Spirit of God shows us ourselves, shows us who we are, and shows us really the incredible nature of God's grace, which saves us, which, which keeps going with us, and which commissions us to do extraordinary things for the God who through us does quite extraordinary things. I do love the book of Jonah. Um, Andy said, well, bring what you think will be helpful. And uh, this is a book which is dear to me. My first ever ambition was to be a trawlerman. I love water, I love the sea, I love fish. When I got to about six or seven, I thought, that's really, really dangerous. Anybody been watching the Catch series on Channel 4? Just finished recently. You're all too busy, you're London people. <laughs> I, I watch it when I can, kind of late at night and funny times of the day, because I love it. It's just trawlermen. Every single episode is about stressed out fishermen working in danger in tiny financial margins, 
catching fish. And everyone is the same. I'm an absolute sucker for it. But I realise that's a really dangerous profession. So my second life ambition, if I wanted to be a footballer and then a rock star, was, was to, to manage a trout fishery. Well, that was a lot safer. But I love water, I love boats, I love fish, and I love fishing, and fly fishing in particular. I don't think Jonah knew much about that. But there are some reasons why I'm drawn to this book. I'm drawn also because I am a preacher. And I can connect very, very easily with Jonah. But if you're not into whales, or even smaller fish, or the sea, or perhaps... You're scared of water. You'll never be a preacher. This book is about you. This book is about you in your need and in your potential. And it's about God's transforming, thrilling grace. So a book for all of us. We're looking this morning uh, in this first session at chapter one. We're trying to do the whole chapter. And I want us to think about God's sovereign grace. Sovereign means just in charge. In charge and powerful. And grace, well, I remember being pretty shocked as a, a friend of mine, as a well-known preacher, said in a conference, he said this, he said, of course, you know there's no such thing as grace. And I really want you to get that message. There is no such thing as grace. Grace is not a thing. Because I think we think of grace as some kind of life force. Mm buzzing through the church, running through your life. No, it's not. There's no such thing as grace. What is grace? It's God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit being good to undeserving people. God the Trinity being good to undeserving people. And we spend our lives then working out, experiencing, and enjoying just the depths of God's incredible goodness given to us through the life, the death, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So there's no such thing as grace. And I say that not to make grace less, but to make it more. Grace is God doing good. And won't God do good in his servant and through his servant Jonah and you? So we meet Jonah first of all, and there's a question. Is he running from the call? You bet he is. There's no real introduction uh, to, to who Jonah is. Andy couldn't give little interviews. We find out about how many kids he's got and what he's done. There is one little intriguing reference in 2 Kings uh, chapter 14, verses 24 to 27. We needn't look at it now. But that Jonah is definitely this Jonah. They're one and the same. Jonah was a prophet. Jonah was a royal prophet. Jonah spoke to the court of the king. Jonah spoke to the powerful people. Jonah was on staff at St. Helen's Bishop's Gate. <laughs> we, we, we out in Gunnersbury, dirty Baptists we were, towards the edge of the district line. We, we, we knew where we were in the church pecking order. We had people in our area who would, who would drive past us to All Souls and HDB and St. Helen's Bishop's Gate. And whenever anybody came and settled with us, that was a coup, that, that was a scalp. But, but we weren't preaching on ministry royalty, but Jonah was. He was the man. He had a well-known, accredited ministry. God had spoken through him, and the word of the Lord had come true. 
Now, we don't know how old Jonah was. Here's my theory. He was about my age. There's, there's, there's no science beneath that. It's just my theory. Indulge my theory, my prejudice. He was my age. He'd done enough to have been hurt by ministry, to have ministry's ups and ministry's downs. But he had years ahead of him. And maybe his temptation is the temptation of every middle-aged person, whatever sphere of life we're in, just to take the foot off the gas. And that may be some of us here today. In fact, I know it is. I don't know you, but I know it is. You have worked so hard for your career. You have worked so hard in church. You have worked so hard with those children of yours. You have sacrificed and slaved and gone without and given and given and given. And a lot of that within this group of people. And it's been hard and it's been stressful and it's been costly and it's been tiring. The thing you're most looking forward to about this weekend is having a lion. You won't say that to anybody else, but you've not really come for the sessions. You've come, perhaps, you've heard there's a sauna here and it's great. There's a gym, there's a pool, there's nice walks. You can just rest and you can just switch off because life is exhausting. Church is exhausting and people are draining. And yet the word of the Lord is coming to you. And the word of the Lord is calling you to do hard things in Jesus' name. God is calling. It was a horrible call, wasn't it, which Jonah got. Go to the great city of Nineveh. Nineveh. They were just awful. They were proverbial for their ruthlessness, their wickedness. They were, they were bloodhounds. They were, they were killers. They had murdered God's people. And God's saying, Jonah, go to ISIS. Would you like that call? Go to ISIS. Or go to the people who have caused you real pain. Go back and sit down with your parents. Or I'm assuming there's, there's at least some divorces here in this group. Go and speak to the spouse who so wounded you. Go to that boss who belittled you, overlooked you for promotion. Go to the people who have really hurt you. And speak God's word to them. I actually don't think that um, Jonah believed verse 2. I think he heard the call. Go to Isis, Nineveh, the ancient equivalent. Those hard people in your life. He heard that. But I don't think Jonah believed this bit. And actually we'll look tomorrow at, at what makes me think that. The second bit, preach against it. Denounce it. Because its wickedness has come up before me. I don't think Jonah believed that God had a word of judgment against Nineveh. I think that Jonah believed that God was about to not just jeopardize Jonah's safety. That God was about to trash his career. 
I think Jonah had more than a sneaking suspicion that he was on God's mercy mission. And how is, how is Jonah's ministry going to flourish after he's led a bunch of wild, horrible, murdering pagans into the experience of grace? What are his people going to think of him? He is a traitor. We, we, we lose sight of, of the nature of God's covenant grace in the Old Testament because we know the gospel now is, is global, it's international, it's for everyone. God's grace in the 8th century BC emphatically was not for everyone. It was for one ethnic people in a tiny patch of land. That's where God was operating. That's where God was saving people. Okay, let's say maybe not exclusively, but almost so. Any notion that a preacher got on a boat or got on a plane and went off and, and, and preached for anybody else was just, there was no category in the ancient Israelite mind. And so if Jonah were to go to Nineveh and God were to show grace, in the eyes of, of, of Jonah's colleagues, Jonah has just trashed the covenant. They all knew that Israel were the people. And Jonah's messing everything up, leading these people who deserve hell to know the grace which would take them to heaven. And so often we, we hear God's call, but we resist it because it's going to trash our careers. It's going to trash our reputation. It's going to trash our status. We'll love God as long as he doesn't call us to do stupid career. When I said the word career, all these heads went down. You all started writing notes. Because this is where it's at, isn't it? We'll love God as long as he doesn't trash our career. As long as he doesn't jump on our trajectory and alter its upward course. But God loves to do that. He loves to honour careers. But he does love to do difficult things and bring difficulty in our lives. Jonah, verse 3, ran away from the Lord and went for a holiday in Spain. That's where he went. You probably know that. You've heard sermons on Jonah. Tarshish is the Costa del Sol. So he went to Joppa and he found a ship that was going to Spain. He had enough money. They paid him very well at Word Alive. And he sailed for Spain to flee from the Lord. To flee from the Lord. Here's some irony, isn't it? And where have you gone? And where have I gone? And where maybe in our hearts are we going today? To flee from the Lord. Running from the call, running from the covenant. Well, let's, let's think about this question then. Can you run from God? Of course you can. It's so easy, isn't it, to run from God? He, he doesn't come after you with this pounding, hot breath on your neck. Jonah ran from the Lord. It was so easy. It was a walk to the port. 
It was handing over money for the ticket. The boat was there. Jonah listened to his heart, and God seemingly endorsed what Jonah wanted. Jonah could have justified this thought, all that I've been doing. I think I've so been overworking that for a minute I had this crazy idea, you were sending me to the pagans. And I told my wife, and she said, love, you've been overworking, just go and have a holiday. Jonah could justify it, rationalize it. We can rationalize our sins very well. I grew up 70s, early 80s, that was my childhood. Uh, and, and I observe in churches what I call a Fonz theology. Some of you are too young to know the Fonz theology, but some of us, slightly sheepishly, are smiling because we can remember happy days with the Fonz. Mm-hmm. And the song in happy days was, feel so right, it can't be wrong. And for Jonah, feel so right. It I need a rest. I've slaved for God. I've, I've given out for God. God knows I need a rest, and I know it too. So Jonah is a man on the run. Who is he running from, and who are you, and who am I running from so often? We're running from the God of all power. A God who declares his will, who gives his call, who, who hasn't opened up a discussion with Jonah but has given him his marching orders. He expects obedience. He misses nothing. He is in effortless supreme control. And Jonah knew this. He went to Sunday school. He learned his memory verses. This was just basic theology that he'd always known. And our problem with God is is often, isn't it? It's not that we don't understand who he is. We don't like who he is. We don't like a God of, of, of effortless control and power. Unrivaled majesty. We want a God we can speak terms to. A God we can give exception clauses to. A God we can hold up some bargaining cards to. So we can evade the claims of his majesty. But this is a wonderful thing about God, that he is a God of covenant commitment. And it's very important we see this, because many of you, I'm sure, are very gifted people. It's only when you, you move out of London, you look back and you think, God, I knew a lot of very high capacity, can-do, highly educated people. And my wife and I endlessly talk about this. We love living in Huddersfield. But we're in a place which is really quite can't do. Where many people haven't had the educational opportunities of the kind of folks in commission churches. They are a different breed. And so it's wonderful because I have ministry in London to, to, to duck into this kind of can-do culture. And my experience in Chiswick was there's some people you cannot give them enough ministry to do. They'll just get up earlier. They will sleep less. They will go to bed later. They will send emails in taxis and do all sorts of crazy things to get the work done. Because they've been schooled and drilled to have high capacity. And when somebody gives a call, they respond. 
And I'm not knocking any of that. That's wonderful. I'm sure many of you are like that. I'm sure you're a joy to your, your leadership team here. But the God who calls is a God who only calls because he's first of all committed to us in a covenant of love. And friends, if you only think God is a God to give you orders, you're putting yourself in a place of spiritual danger. And I'll tell you why. Because when God gives you an order you don't like, you won't hear the love that comes with that command. When God leads you into a situation of stress and anguish and loss, you won't want to relate to that God. You will evade the claims of that God. But when you know that, that in Jesus Christ we have the Father's heart of love, a covenant relationship which can never be broken, although he may lead you towards pain, he will lead you in pain and in difficulty and through sadness. Because the God who is committed to us in Jesus Christ in this unbreakable, fabulous covenant is a God who will never let us go. Isn't that fantastic? And though God lets Jonah go across the Mediterranean. Verse 4, he's not letting him go, is he? Covenant love often comes into our hearts by the Spirit of God in still, small voices of reassurance. But sometimes covenant love comes in roaring gales and Thunderstorm. Sometimes God woos us and whispers to us. Sometimes he shakes everything. And sometimes everything falls down around us. The Lord sent such a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. I'll let you into a secret. There was another reason why I didn't want to uh, go to sea as a trawlerman. It was just too scary. Being on the sea in a gale, I remember some fairly hair-raising crossings in the old ferries, uh, going away as a child with my family. But, but, but nothing like a stormy sea could compare with this. This is, this, is, this is the perfect storm. Do you remember that film? Is it a 90s film based on a true story? A little crew of about half a dozen fishermen went out of Massachusetts and they met what the meteorologists call a perfect storm. Weather fronts coming from all directions, 50, 60, 100 foot waves. I mean, you watch it, you need a bucket next to you because you think you're going to be seasick. It's terrifying. But not a patch on actually being in this storm. Verse 5, the sailors were afraid. The sailors knew this was really, really dangerous. And they cry out to their gods. God is coming after the son of his covenant love. Isn't it just fabulous? God runs after us. God loves us so much. We let people go, don't we? We think they've, they've hurt me too much. They've, they've disappointed me. I'm too angry at them. I'm too dispirited. I, I, I can't have them in my life. Too draining, 
Too tiring. I'm seeing somebody this afternoon, a family member, I've not seen him for about eight years. Actually, I don't really want him in my life. But the God I worship does not permit me to check out of that relationship. Because God never checks out a relationship with us. So if God is doing something disturbing, unsettling, scary in your life, just remember he is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He knows what he's doing. He may be pursuing you in ways which are difficult, but ultimately and always in ways you need and in ways which are for your good in Christ. We cannot run from his covenant love. But thirdly, can we run without a care? Because these soldiers are terrified, as we saw. There's a pub about three miles from here in Ripley called the Jovial Sailor. And, and that's a traditional historic image of sailors, isn't it? You know, it, it's, it, it's great fun. A girl in every port spending their pay in pubs when they come in without a care in the world. Well, it may have been great fun a lot of time for those pagan sailors. But suddenly they were very, very scared. But what do they do? We'll come to Jonah in a second. He is getting his head down and he is in a deep, deep sleep. And the writer, Jonah himself, is wanting to say, why could that be? Somebody got a sleeping conscience, perhaps? But let's, let's just stay with these sailors for a bit longer. What do they do? They turn to the usual sources of deliverance. They go to the same place that everybody goes. Though culture it looks a bit different, they do what you and I naturally do, and everybody does when suffering comes. They turn to the usual sources of deliverance. They cry out to their gods, verse 5. For many people, that's not gods that... Uh, that we would consciously worship, but it's, it's gods of our own making, our intelligence, our resourcefulness, our networks, our training. We scrabble to go back to them, to give us some help when suffering smashes in. We go to ourselves, to get ourselves out of trouble. They lighten the load, don't they? They throw the cargo into the sea. We think, well, if I work harder, if I tighten my belt financially and start handling my money properly, if I, if I listen to that work appraisal, I can work my way out of this difficulty. And then sometimes, if nothing else works, try religion. Get the priest in. Verse 6. The captain goes below deck to Jonah, how can you sleep? Get up. You're a holy man. You're a religious man. You're a prophet. Pray for us. Let's try religion. And of course, all of them fail. It's very interesting, isn't it? The captain says to Jonah, Look, get up and pray. And there's no, we hear nothing. Jonah doesn't want to get up. Jonah certainly doesn't want to pray. And they're left to their own devices. So the sailors do next the very thing which suffering should make us do. They turn to the face of the one who is the Lord of suffering. 
They recognize that those suffering feel so random and so unjust. Deep down in our, our, in our spirits, we know that God is in charge of suffering. Everybody knows that. Every, everybody asks why when suffering comes. Everybody knows when suffering comes, ultimately there is a God we must face up to. And these guys want answers. So they start casting lots. And does our God say, whoa, I don't do that hocus pocus. I'm not in charge of that. That's not my, that's not my area. Well, I used to dabble in the occult. And I can remember as a 14-year-old, sitting down with a family member. And we did what's called table tipping. We wanted to see if a deceased relative was there. So we, we spoke the name of this deceased relative. And within five seconds, this little stool started bucking wildly. One half raising up, smashing down, like tipping back and forth. I knew there was power outside just the material world. I was left in no doubt. And God, sovereign in his, in his goodness, used that experience a few years later as one significant factor in leading me to Christ. The lot fell to Jonah because God does do the occult. He doesn't approve it, but he can certainly handle it and use it. And the lot falls to Jonah. What on earth is going on? That's my paraphrased translation. Do you read Eugene Peterson's The Message? I'm not a huge fan of it. But if I were doing a Eugene Peterson version of verse 8, I would translate it as this. What on earth is going on? Because we know it's you. Who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? They're basically saying, come on, Jonah, it's confession time. What on earth is going on? What have you done that this storm is pursuing all of us? And Jonah has to speak up. He has to speak up. And he speaks up an extraordinary confession of faith. What he says in verse 9 terrifies them. Verse 10. So what does he say? I am a Hebrew. I'm one of God's people. I worship the Lord. The Lord is God's covenant name. And this Lord is not the Lord of a few, few hundred square miles of Israel. How is he described, verse 9? The Lord of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. That's Genesis 1-1 territory, isn't it? In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. And I worship this God. But Jonah clearly isn't worshipping this God. He's got this massive confession of faith. A confession of, of a faith in God so sovereign and majestic that these men are terrified. Terrified why? Because Jonah has told them something which is bracketed in our translation. He made a, another confession to them that he was running away from the Lord. And they get that God is on his case and therefore on their case. And friends, we forget, don't we, how powerful how powerful our confession of faith is. That we worship the Lord. The God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Remember dear Dick Lucas. Many of us know Dick Lucas. 
One day he was training some of us in the Cornhill training course I did back in the day. And he said, look, don't be odd. I went to his voice. You can hear it in your, in your head. He said, don't be odd. He said, what you believe makes you odd enough. I mean to remember that. And we walk into work on a Monday morning and people know we've been to church a day before. That makes us marked men and marked women deeply odd. Because what we believe in our faith in Jesus Christ is deeply controversial and very, very difficult for people to process. Don't feel overly discouraged if your colleagues never ask you about your faith. It's too scary for many of them. It's too unsettling. They look like they just don't care, and some of them don't. But some of them deliberately avoid the topic because they are very, very intimidated by it. Be realistic about that. And then pray extra hard for gospel opportunities. But don't be surprised if you get strong reactions. They were terrified. And they're getting terrified because verse 11, the sea is getting more terrifying all the while. What should we do to you to make the sea calm down? In a sense, to make God calm down. Because we know we're going to die if this goes on. The ship's going to break up. And he says, what you need is sacrifice. You're going to deal with God's wrath, you need sacrifice. And you need me to be your sacrifice. See, as they're all almost out of their minds with stress, one man seemingly isn't stressed, and that's Jonah. Now, maybe he is stressed, but in, in reporting this, he doesn't give those kind of hints, but maybe it's just this sense sometimes we get, we know God has hemmed us in, we just know it's confession time. We've been living in unreality in our sin. Reality is bumping up and there is a relief, isn't there? I deserve to die so that you can live. Now the men can't take this. They may be, they may be crude, rough, pagan sailors, but they don't do human sacrifice. Okay, so verse 13, they're doing their best to row back to land. And is God going to take that? No, the sea gets wilder already. And what's happening in verse 14? God is getting praise from pagans. Please notice this. There's a great crossover. It's a very wrong chapter, isn't it? Jonah's doing everything wrong, running from the Lord. But God is working, yes, to bring Jonah back, but to bring pagans to himself. This is almost a foretaste, because we all know the story. It's almost a foretaste of Nineveh on board the ship, isn't it? God reaching out to unlikely, rough pagan people and bringing them to himself. Through either the obedience or the disobedience of the prophet, God will get the glory. God can write a straight line with a crooked stick, as I say in Yorkshire. He can use a disobedience. Of Jonah. So hear, hear the cries of new believers. Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For You have done as you please. They get that, that God is indeed sovereign and holy and righteous and wrathful. Remember the psalmist? Surely your wrath shown to men brings you praise. 
And Jonah goes overboard. And God gets his man. And he gets, verse 16, these men. As Jonah is sinking, they are praising God. Because finally, fourthly, God and Jonah are running on course. Jonah is where God wants him. Jonah is learning in those seconds that you cannot ever outrun a God of power and righteousness and grace. You just can't. And maybe somebody here really needs to be reminded of that. Stop running. You're making a fool of yourself. God will have his man. Remember how God reached out to Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel, Daniel 4.35, and converted that man when he took him to the depths of degradation. So he was barking like a dog and howling like a wolf. And God seemingly brought Nebuchadnezzar to a profession of real saving faith. And what does Nebuchadnezzar say? God does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the people of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? He's sovereign. He's sovereign in seeking out and arresting Jonah. He's sovereign in bringing that storm. He's sovereign in the hearts of the men. And he's sovereign in the course of the fishes of the sea. What a, what a bizarre coincidence. At that moment, God sends a hungry whale. Well, it's not a coincidence. God sends the storm, the whale, the salvation. So, friends, we really, really need to believe, because it's true, that God's grace is sovereign. He has sought us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? There is no reason. It's just down to the mystery of his electing love. And because we are united to Jesus Christ in the bond of the Holy Spirit as we've confessed our sins and, and trusted in Christ, God's love is always, always for us. And he uses every situation, every shock, every storm, every act of disobedience to work in us by his Spirit so that we are more and more like the righteous prophet. The Lord Jesus. The one, who, the one who sacrificed himself that we might live. The one who always obeyed the word of the Lord. The one who always lived in God's covenant love. The one whose life sets that course for you and me to follow. Trusting, humble eager, though deeply costly, obedience. So much more for us to see, but I'm going to finish there. I've put a couple of questions which you might like to talk about tonight, over this coffee break, later in the week, who knows. A couple of, 
I think fairly broad questions, just conversation starters. I'll be around this morning until, uh, until just after lunch. I'll be very, very happy uh, to talk more about what I've learned and what you're learning in this book. Shall we pray for each other? Let's pray. The Lord Jesus says, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. But if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. Father in heaven, we want to know more and more of the liberating power of your grace in the Lord Jesus. Lord, please show us how we are disobeying you as each of us are. Please show us the, the danger and the stupidity of that course we've set our hearts on. Please show us your incredible and sovereign grace that we may be made truly repentant, truly trusting, and truly eager to know the freedom of your grace in the Son of your love. These things we ask in Jesus' name.